Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Good to have Shabbos. Appreciate that very much. Uh, glad you've sobered up since the uh, Tuesday holiday of Purim. You did allude to the fact last Friday that I would probably uh, imbibe a bit too much. So, you know, takes one to no one, as they say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> anyway, uh, our brothers and sisters in Israel, some of them are going through, well, I would say all of them are going through a challenging situation. But in particular, I'm talking about the terror attacks. Uh, we'll get your comment in the aftermath of what happened on Dizengoff last night. You'll tell us what you know. But in addition to that, Malcolm, it's no secret that there are so many things happening, especially in the center of Judea and Samaria, specifically the Shomron, uh, where so many people are being intimidated by the enemy, uh, by those who are, live in Arab villages in the area. Last Shabbos, a woman was driving her daughter to the hospital on Shabbat because it was an emergency. And on the way back from the hospital, uh, she uh, after she was treated, etc., um, heading back to Shiloh, a car blocked her progress. Uh, she was able to avoid it. Of course, the car followed her and then, uh, in, in fact, hit her uh, to the point where um, her daughter, her two-year-old daughter, was injured and subsequently passed away. Obviously, this story gets zero attention internationally, but this is the type of intimidation that people in areas like that are living with every single day. So your comments regarding that in terms of what's happening in the Shomron, specifically in areas around Arab villages, and what can you tell us about yesterday in Tel Aviv? Well, this is part of an ongoing series of attacks, which, uh, as you know, the media report in an even-handed way that Israelis died and Palestinians died because of the uh, raid in the morning. Uh, not mentioning the fact that these were murderers, terrorists about to carry out an attack or having carried out attacks, that the um, uh, the equivalency, the moral equivalency that we all warned about for so many years is not is now accepted and taken for granted. The the coverage of w- what is taking place is so lopsided and so distorted and so misrepresentative, and the people you know, accept it as fact. And so we see the impact on pro-Israel numbers and the growing manifestations that governments now feel free, especially because of what's going on in Israel, to speak out in ways that they hadn't before. And that the, whether it's in regard to Iran, when the head of the IEA, who has always been very supportive of Israel, comes out and says it would be a crime to attack, because he has his own personal agenda to pursue uh, in his career and and knows that being pro-Israel is not a stepping stone to a higher international position. And the media's constant uh, barrage, and it's why it's so important that people call up the news stations, that they keep the, the pressure on, that there at least be a balanced, honest presentation. I'm not saying to be pro-Israel because that's, I think, too much to expect from, from many of them. And the tragedies, you know, these two young children, five, six years old and eight years old, What? what where is the compassion? Where is the, the feeling for it? And the father being badly hurt as well. And then two brothers yeah. uh, being killed in, in such a brutal fashion. And we find out from somebody who was in jail before. And then, of course, many of them were pressured to be released and um, or in, were in swamps, or you know, and they were, and they 
proved to be recidivists in, in so many cases. So we have a, a situation where you, you cannot, even seeing some of the things on TV, you're not getting the, the uh, right context in which to, to understand it. And the, you know, these are blatant attacks on civilian populations who did nothing, whereas Israel goes in and wipes out nine terrorists, and we see nine Palestinians killed. Are there people who die in the crossfire? Yes. But it's not because Israel aims to do it. It's because they can put themselves in the harm's and way. By, because- and by the way, how, how absurd is, is it how much we celebrate, not a criticism, how much we celebrate when a member of the Hollywood community or media community makes this point. Like you, you'll find on social media that one lone voice who's making this point. You say, ah, oh, there's somebody who actually gets this. You know, they're surrounded by people who refuse to get it, but they actually are brave enough to come out and say something. And in regard to last night, first of all, it does seem like it could have been much, much worse what happened on Disney Golf. So I guess you have to, you know, count your blessings and thank God for that. It could have been much, much worse. And secondly, are, are they portraying him as a lone wolf last night i mean you and i have discussed what lone wolf really means and what type of you know rhetoric actually incites this type of activity but are they portraying him as a lone wolf from the last night's episode they were saying that he was a lone operative but they never are they all influenced but if you take any one of the the incidents and and take a minute to have a minute to look at what what who these people are and and the circumstances um the guy who killed uh, Halal and Yagel uh, Yaniv uh, was a Hamas member who was um, who previously um, had been engaged in terrorist activities. He was killed in exchange with the Israeli troops in Jenin on uh, on Tuesday, and th- the Israeli forces came to make the arrest, but they came under massive gunfire, including from uh, Palestinian gunmen who fired from an ambulance on them. And then Palestinian health officials said you know, six people were killed in the fighting and 12 injured. Well, so were three of the Yemen uh, counter-terrorist unit, but all six of the Palestinian casualties were armed combatants. You have no impression of that. And, and the five uh, Palestinians killed on Tuesday were members of terror organizations, uh, including uh, um, another Hamas member. So these are not just haphazard incidents, and it's it's really unbelievable when you see that Israel arrested the sons of the Hawara killer. Um, they didn't want to kill him. They didn't go in there to, to to. They went in there to stop terror, and it's it, it's unbelievable to see the kind in in American media. I'm not talking about just what right. we get from Al Jazeera and Palestinian coverage. What do you think of the lone voice uh, point that I made? How much the lone wolf? Well, no, 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 no. The lone voice when I when I'm referring to you know when someone's brave enough from the Hollywood or the media community. Yes, it, well, we do celebrate it because honesty is still something we value. <laughs> that's true. And, we uh, like truth, and truth is something that's become rarer and rarer. It's like a diamond, you know. The more it goes up in price, the more people cherish it, and then mm-hmm. truth has become something with you know that we we should look at look look at the coverage on Iran these days the 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 complete distortion misrepresentation that Iran shipped a huge quantities of uh, ammunition to Ukraine to the to the Russians the the head of the IEA comes back and says that he has a deal when well, there was no deal 
And yet the media right away fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And of course, like every other time when he comes back before a meeting of the board of the International Atomic Energy Agency, he has to back off of it and said, well, we, we have, we're in discussion, we're, we're working. They're not working on anything. Russia now says that they're going to return the enriched uranium that the JCPOA deal said that they were supposed to take from and got paid to take from Iran and store it. Now, according to the deal that they made, they're returning the enriched uranium to Tehran, and that's one small uh, item in a much bigger agenda. We could spend, you know, hours just yep. detailing these things, which get almost no coverage. Yeah, you know, also Washington's a little bit to blame for it because every time they, you know, every every time they overreach a bit or what seems to be an overreach in terms of what they're blaming Iran for, they always walk it back and they always, you know, portray. It. And that's why there's always a conflict in Israel and the United States about what you know what Iran is actually capable of doing, because Washington's never ready to admit, you know, to the full extent where Iran is up to. So but this time they can't hide the fact that there were two centri- the centrifuges of IR sixes that they found the eighty four point six. Uh, percent purified uh, uranium, which and and ninety percent is you know it's just one step up. It doesn't take anything to get to weapons grade, and they perhaps don't want to go to weapons grade because they know that the the consequences will be bigger. In this way, everybody will make excuses, and the as as we see happening, and and we know that there are still talks going on, and those who still want to see a deal concluded with a party that has shown in every way its treatment of its own people, the violations, human rights, the international uh, um, activities that they're engaged in. And the more the pressure at home as the, their economy collapses, their people suffer, they do more aggressive things abroad. And we, we are seeing that now. And yet we're not doing what is necessary, which is to confront them. And so we're losing our allies in the Gulf because they're saying, you know, that they're going to be left alone to face Iran and the the um, the cost will be a long term one. Yeah. All right. Two things. Uh, first of all, not to get you or I uh, into any trouble or me into any trouble, but you know, uh, it's 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 always interesting to see reaction by people six thousand miles away about what goes on in Israel. Uh, and I'm not in, sitting here today endorsing revenge attacks or what people should or should not be doing in response to the attacks that are coming from the Arab village, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but uh, can we at least agree that Jewish leadership in this part of the world should be very careful before criticizing those who believe the only language the enemy understands is when they get very tough with the enemy and they go ahead and, 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 and show them what's going to happen if they uh, dare you know, challenge or threaten Jews in that area? Can we at least, can we at least agree that, that Jewish leadership should be very careful about the types of statements they release in, in light of these events? Not just in light of these events, I think people should be careful about the consequences, the long-term consequences of the words of things that are being said, and not just by American leaders, by people in Israel, by people here, uh, that uh, when you, you feed the BDS um, uh, crocodile, giving them the language and the um, backing and, and the excuses that they can then just quote. Uh, whether it's American Jewish leaders or others, and they say things which could have long-term consequences, I believe that this issue will ultimately be resolved. You see that there are some talks taking place, and when the opposition feels that the price is, is right, 
for them to do it, that uh, maybe perhaps they feel that right now they have Netanyahu uh, is paying the price for, for what he did and the introduction of these measures. And so that they it's not in their political interest, but it's certainly in the national interest for both sides to step down. Uh, the president uh, has made, you know, very emotional appeals. And, um, you know, it seems that, that neither side is, is really paying close enough attention to the consequences of, of what this means longer term, that the image of Israel as a, as a democracy thing, that it, people are saying, you know, that democracy is dead and that this is dictatorship and this is what they're doing is not uh, is not killing democracy. In fact, when hundreds of thousands of people can demonstrate in the streets, that is democracy. And when, you know, people can criticize their government, I think that there, are, there should be limits. And engaging in violence is, is never uh, acceptable in an answer. Uh, making their voices heard, whether in demonstrations, the the um, threatening to pull out the money and trying to intimidate investors, and doing other things which will cost people jobs and livelihood and have long term consequence. Are... is such an important thing for people to keep in mind. You can be critical. But think of the consequences of your words abroad are, and those who are abroad to be doubly careful. Are there open and well said, and I appreciate that. Are there are there open negotiations or are you referring to secret talks that are going on or are both happening? I would say there are both. There are discussions going on. The, the president has conducted uh, discussions and they came up with a plan that will increase the majority to 65, impose all sorts of safeguards. Uh, into the system that um, I already heard these ideas uh, a month ago that they were being muted, but I don't think that right now the uh, there's serious parties to take it up. The, the the ground rules people know, but there are those who, who have an interest in seeing the crisis continue and the political strife continue because they gain from it uh, politically or believe they will. Uh, even though if you had elections today, you, you could probably and, and the coalition would, would um, uh, be weaker, but there's no clear outcome that would emerge from it. And there are many people who are now writing about the excesses of the Supreme Court and putting things into context, which, frankly, the prime minister and others should have done right away in the right. beginning and did not do. Uh, and, you know, the, the feeling that this was being bulldozed through and then right. it becomes subject to everybody exploiting it who have other political agendas, including those very responsible and good people who have come out on this and they're entitled to that view. Uh, I frankly still don't understand enough of what all the implications of it are and therefore don't find that the the competence of people to to comment on it. Those who are there and who studied it, it's one thing I've seen very meaningful debates uh, on the subject. But that's not what we're hearing is we're hearing then this extremist language uh, trying to take advantage of this moment. Yeah. Uh, as you've described to us, uh, they never really laid out the case well. Some would say they never laid out the case at all, frankly. Uh, so a poor job done in that regard. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and Nachomsegel.com and the Nachomsegel Network and, of course, the beloved NSN app. I got to circle back for a second because um, it, it struck me when you said what you said earlier about uh, 
you know, writing and uh, emailing. Obviously, we're all capable of emailing and uh, and uh, calling into radio talk shows and to. You know, that, that's a game that the uh, game is the wrong word, but you get, that's a process that, that, you know, we understand and generations uh, of uh, like of ours, uh, you know, is really proficient at and good at, we became good at that type of advocacy, you know, from our youth. And I think one of the things, and, um, and this is important to emphasize to, to students out there in our community nationwide. And I hope all parents and grandparents emphasize this at the Shabbos table tonight and in general, um, they they have the tools to address all of this in social media, right? I have no expertise when it comes to uh, you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, etc. But the the kids, the teenagers, and those in their twenties certainly do. They need to be turned on to how important it is to be out there and advocating for Israel and to use their tools to do so. So yes, as you said, you know the methods that we're used to and the methods that a lot of people in this audience. Uh, are used to and that we uh, perfected over the years. We've now got to get that next generation to utilize what they've perfected. This incredible ability to 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 get things out on social media within seconds and navigate it and and threads and conversations and all of this stuff and do it on behalf of Israel. And to realize the price that we will all pay for this. This is not just about Israel. This is feeding the anti-Semitism of the day and that those who attack Israel want to attack Jews as well. And uh, we see it in the media coverage, you know, the New York Times obsession with the Haredi community, which is almost unheard of, and more articles coming uh, and, and boasting that they've done 12, 15, whatever, 18 articles uh, targeting one small community or portion, portion of the population. Um, and, you know, the, the, and ignoring so much of what is really happening and what the... Uh, when we look at the events, the people are focused on looking at the, um, the demonstrations. We don't see anybody demonstrating in the Palestinian Authority against the, for long against the PA, even though it's the most corrupt thing. And 80 percent of the people see it as corrupt and 60 percent want to see it as see it as a liability rather than as an asset. And yet we're told that you should negotiate. You got to support them and you have to build them up. And um, and the the uh, people uh, the local people in Janine, Nablus, they don't feel committed to the leadership, and therefore they build their own armed groups like Lions Den and go out. And, and do you know that, that the Wagner group is recruiting amongst Palestinians to go and serve in, in Ukraine? Uh, they're recruiting them near Latakia in Syria, and uh, fighters from regular Syrian military units, uh, which are run by the Russians, uh, are paid five to seven hundred dollars a month to go into the war zone and Hezbollah is recruiting as well. And we know that the Russians are paying $350 a month to Palestinians in Lebanon, which we should emphasize is a lot of money for them. For them. It's yeah. Compared to what they're making, it's it is a living and they're making nothing. Otherwise, where's the coverage? Where's the, the, the reporting um, of the impact and of the, you know, these kind of nefarious activities, let alone that Hezbollah is building cells along the border with Israel, recruiting Sunnis and, and local Syrians who then blend into the population and are able to, to build up the capacity then to attack and to harass the Israel. And so we take our eye off the ball all the time with what, with what is going on. And I understand why it's, it's uh, very serious. 
but the 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 realities uh, from Iran to the Golan to the to Lebanon to all of this is now being given short shrift. Yep. Hundred percent. All right. A couple of things on the international front. First of all, Saudi Arabia, and I assume that's who you were referring to earlier in terms of one of the countries that um, is concerned about you know the U.S. having their back when it comes to Iran. So they say they'll only make peace with Israel uh, contingent on U.S. promises, contingent on nuclear development. Saudi Arabia is like you know a little bit Arafat like. You know, a deal was ready to be made, and all he had to do was pull the trigger, and he just couldn't do it. It, it, it looks like even with the Abraham Accords and even with the precedents and even with the desires that we're hearing from the business community of how desperate Saudi Arabia is to make peace with Israel, it just looks like the conditions are never going to be there for them to pull the trigger on this, right or wrong. They're not desperate to, to make peace. Uh, as you know, I've talked to the Saudi leadership about it over the years. I do think that they see that it would be in their interest. There are internal reasons, the, the conflict between the king and the son, the difference in attitudes, the, the concern about public reaction, the um, uh, because of, you know, Mecca and Medina are there, they're seen as having a more elevated status. Uh, and of course, Iran's constant uh, attacks and, and campaigns against them, but also a lack of confidence that, that we heard in the Gulf only two, a week ago when we were there two weeks ago, um, feeling that the West, and particularly the United States, is yep. not going to be there for them, right. undermines the willingness to take the bold steps. And and now you also have a conflict between Saudi Arabia and the UAE, which is very dangerous in the region, where they, you know, he the MBZ used to be MBS's um, mentor, the head of UAE, to the to the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, and now they they are in conflict in Yemen and elsewhere. They have completely different. Um, agendas to um, to pursue there, and and generally those kind of divisions in the in the what should be a solid front against Iran, which threatens both of them and wants to destroy both of them and take them over, is very serious. And we need American leadership to be clear and strong there. We need to see them move into the IA and not hear that the Europeans are saying they're willing to have sanctions against Iran, but the United States. It seems to be uh, holding back. Others are saying it's the reverse. But the very fact that this becomes one of the mantras that we hear is is very disturbing. You know, what's, what's ironic is that, you know, they want America to have their back against Iran. They really need Israel. <laughs> That's really what they need. If they, if they would have direct negotiations with Israel and, and you know, and make sure they had a peaceful relationship, that, that might be more beneficial to them in the long run. But, but we shouldn't believe that there aren't discussions going on and there aren't things happening between the two countries, even if it's not the, the public declarations of, uh, of relationships. And there are other countries that are, are moving ahead uh, on the path towards relations with Israel. So, you know, we don't even look at what happens in Africa, Chad, other countries from the Muslim countries that are moving right. towards relationships with Israel or declaring them. And the Hungary moving its embassy to Jerusalem, uh, the Sudan upgrading the normalization process, and Saudi Arabia will come along. You know, the, the biggest mistake we make is focusing on Saudi Arabia. Public pronouncements about Saudi Arabia the surest way to make sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, there you go. That's when they have to backtrack when when they when they feel the heat and they start backtracking and uh, and doing what I just described of you know not being able to pull the trigger on a deal. Uh, will Italy recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel? Will Italy? Yeah. And not likely. They're not going to break with the Europeans, and I doubt that they are going to make the move 
um, have never proven to be that courageous in the past, and there is strong, sometimes strong anti-Israel sentiment expressed. Uh, hopefully, this will be a positive visit between for the prime minister, and we will hear good statements. But I wouldn't anticipate that kind of a move. Uh, last week, ironically, last week you were talking about the speed with which Erdogan is moving this election along, and of course, it's not really moving it along; it's keeping it at the original date, even with the disaster of the terrible earthquakes in Turkey. But now there is an actual candidate from the opposition party that will run against him. Is are are things more uh, tenuous for him at this point, or is this a candidate that he could uh, easily handle? Well, it, it's it's a consensus candidate. And there's talk that the uh, two mayors, the mayors of Istanbul and Ankara, would be um, a vice president or would do other things to try to round it out. Uh, this is not the, the strongest possible candidate, but the situation obviously in the country is terrible. The economic situation, the, you know, 50,000, 75,000 dead. And the, uh, I think that uh, Erdogan didn't have a choice but to move ahead with the elections because there's no indication that, you know, six months from now he'll be in a better position and that, uh, uh, you know, he has a lot of tools that, that he can exercise. Uh, also, people may not be able to get to the polls in the same numbers. So he has the uh, options. There was an anticipation that he would uh, postpone it. But the point is that there, there, I don't think that he saw anything in the n- near term that would be put him in a better position uh, and hoping that, that his vote uh, will turn out, that his supporters will turn out uh, and not give the opposition more time to build up uh, their base ag- against him. It'll be interesting to see. It, it is possible he will lose. And that will have a lot of implications for the region as well. I can only imagine. I also wonder what it'll do to uh, the Turkey-Israel relationship in addition to all the other relationships Mm -hmm. that they have in that region, as you just pointed out. I I don't know if the New York Times had acknowledged this before. You would know better. uh, But they did write an article this week about the Iranian currency crisis in light of uh, the way the uh, administration is handling uh, all the money that they're getting, uh, which you you have described many times here. I know that obviously that was one of the sources of the protests, but now the protests in the street are also focusing on the the poison uh, of the young women that we pointed out last week, which I guess is not a rumor anymore. I assume they have substantiated facts about it, right? Absolutely. Hundreds and hundreds of girls were poisoned in schools. Uh, The parents are protesting. Others are. Uh, This is uh, somebody who obviously doesn't like the demonstrations by the women or something else, has some sort of obsession and is responsible for this. They haven't found anything out. The currency now passed over 600,000 to the dollar, even though the official rate is 42,000 to the dollar. Inflation is, I think, 53%. Wow. Uh, people, I don't know how they survive. It just, that is the most mystifying thing to me of all is how do people live when their savings are worthless? They, they, um, you know, they, they've gone through all of these tragedies. And now of course, this, this, this massive one, uh, people don't understand. I think the area of the earthquake is, is the size of Syria. It's, it's huge. And we, we won't know the number of killed until the, all the work is done, and we may not ever hear it be made public. But it's it's um, it's a huge burden that's, uh, that's on uh, on Turkey, and the, uh, they are still active in Syria against the PKK, against the Kurds, and you know that's going to be, that's always a major issue. And he can he always resorts to that to try to rally people by having foreign. Uh, uh, enemies, 
right now he, he, the the um, challenges there internally are are extremely big. Uh, Russia hosting Iran, Syria, and Turkey, the aforementioned Turkey, for a meeting regarding what's happening uh, in Syria. So, what uh, what type of alliance is this, or is this simply a uh, you know a meeting to decide uh, what to do going forward in that region? So, you know, we're seeing stepped up Iranian provisions of surface-to-air missiles. Uh, we see them trying to bring stuff in, and they hide within the the shipments of humanitarian aid that cross the border into Syria. They um, are clearly recruiting and, and very active still in, uh, in Syria, of course, from Lebanon. So the Russians, who have uh, lowered their footprint because they're moving people to the Ukrainian front um, uh, are trying to keep all the parties, I think, off base. So they, he forms coalitions with uh, Iran against Turkey, with Turkey against Iran, plays all the sides against each other to keep them in heat in dominance. He does not want to give up their position there, even though they, they have withdrawn even some of the batteries of any aircraft, et cetera, to take to the war front. Uh, you know, Russia is trying to, uh, aside from recruiting there, is is trying to assure that its position uh, and its leverage remains so it convenes the parties and tries to keep them from uh, fighting each other so as not to create a rift in which draw, draws them into it. It's such a complicated situation. I always wonder what Washington sees and assumes when you know things like this happen. Because, I, I mean, I, I guess you'd reassure us that USA intelligence, you know, has their hand on the pulse of all of this. But you know, once countries like that, rogue nations or those who like to cause trouble, you know, get together and have a common interest, it's always frightening. But you would assure us, right, that the United States has plenty of intelligence in line and that they they're monitoring the situation. Well, we have intelligence, and we know, and and it's not a secret meeting, right. uh, and there are means by which you know you can monitor it. But but they often will talk about it. Um, the the question is whether what America's policy is, whether they look at Iran's nuclear end game, and does it do we see uh, how quickly they can now uh, expand their stockpiling and their capacity, you know. As Colin Cowell, who was one of the supporters of the JCPOA, said, you know, when we started, it was 12 years to, to nuclear weapon, and now it's 12 days. Uh, you know, and the the, uh, the Russians, who are more interested in just maintaining their own position and, and securing it, they don't care about the humanitarian uh, aspects that, uh, you know, so many others have been responsive to the to the needs. So this is a political play on their part to protect their interests. And uh, finally, one year later, what did you think of the, uh, and I say that because they, everyone commemorated the first anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine war, what do you think of the major offensive this week? I mean, we're talking about bombing strikes literally in the entire country. I mean, if you look at the map where Russia attacked in Ukraine, they, they I mean, basically every major city got a really strong physical message this week. Uh, uh, do you see things just continuing to escalate? Well, they are continuing to escalate, and the you know the uh, there's still remarkable resistance. I don't think people would have anticipated that it would be as effective or as long as it is. Um, and the Russians, I think, are counting on the Western tendency to get tired of things. Uh, and you know, as we 
you know, we don't cover the human rights challenges in Iran with the hunger strikes by people, the arrests of women, the the arrest of children, with tens of thousands of people in jail, the executions. You know, people get tired of it, and then, and that's what they count on that the the West can't sustain interest. Yeah. The Russians can, the Chinese can. They they look at things in a much longer term way than than we do. Yeah, in general, the well, we know what it's like. Uh, in Israel, the enemy is always looking at the bigger picture years down the road, and often we lose focus on that and worry about. And they say we can wait a thousand years. Right. They say, you know, we waited till now. We we have time. We know how to wait it out. And that's their mantra. Uh, great cultural icon Topol passed away this week. It isn't interesting to yeah. see that the the handful of Israelis over the last seventy five years who've made an international impact culturally. I find that always fascinating. And, and uh, several of them just by playing um, in Fiddler, yeah. as, he, as he did. That what was his big boost. I, I actually met him many years ago. He was very personable and, and uh, a talent. But uh, and uh, you know, it's very nostalgic to see that him passing. He's yeah. been retired for years, as it is. Yeah, no question. There are a few, uh, like I say, a handful that have really uh, made an impact internationally and have promoted Israel well just by what. They do culturally. Uh, next week, uh, we'll let everybody know what's going on. You're scheduled to be in Israel, correct? I am, God willing. All right, so we'll uh, get that report hopefully straight from Jerusalem, please, God. And I thank you very much, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos. Malcolm Holine is uh, vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern time for the weekly update right here at JM in the AM.